someone yells, and here comes Aegon, second of his name, which apparently is like, you're only supposed to say that shit for kings. So little presumptive guy announcing baby. New heir, who dis? Hello and welcome to It's Not TV. It's a podcast. I'm Nicole and along with me is David. Hello, hello. Welcome back to our very special format for season three. In order to quench the overwhelming regret for not having a podcast that covered Game of Thrones, we are covering each episode of House of the Dragon on the pod as they air to correct the order of things. Spoiler warning. Please understand we will be talking about all the things for the episode we're covering, as well as anything that's aired previously. There will be spoilers for the Game of Thrones TV show, A Song of Ice and Fire books. If you do not want to know what intestines look like, consider yourself warned. That said, we will not be spoiling the ending for House of the Dragon. If you want to know the ending right now, go read George R.R. Martin's Fire and Blood. So, so what is this episode three? Tell us about it, David. The third episode of House of the Dragon is titled Second of His Name. And it is about fat little baby Aegon. So, Nicole, my first problem with this, last week when we saw scenes for this episode, I said, oh, and it's a brand new baby. So it's been at least nine months. And you were like, that baby's like two years old. Honestly, this baby could be anywhere from zero to ten. <laughs> I have no fucking idea. <laughs> I just know he's a fat little baby and I love him. So it's been three years. Our episode, for those who've watched, is mostly about a hunt that goes on in honor of fat little baby Aegon and then a little battle. Let's be honest. It's all a hunt. It's thrice the hunt. Thrice the hunt. Damon's hunt of the crab daddy. It's Viserys's, if you call it a hunt, of a stag. And Rhaenyra's pursuit of... Kristen Cole. (laughs) Doing a little... Well, no. Eh. So three-headed dragon, three hunts. I think it's appropriate. Let's jump into the first one and let's talk about our little our little king's hunt, right? What's what's going on with our king? Food, glorious food. So we're some two plus years later and the splendor of charcuterie is not lost, unlike our king's fingers. <laughs> so everyone is headed to a celebration for the second name day of Prince Aegon. Rhaenyra does not want to go. Nope. Allison has to pull a daddy said so. Yeah. Everyone heads to the Kingswood where there is a whole goddamn fair and a royal tent and shit. And everyone gets mad. Just mad. The king keeps getting proposals for his daughter jammed down his throat from every idiot lord. Yeah. And when Rhaenyra decides that she does not want to get married, they have a huge fight in front of everyone. (laughs) And Rhaenyra runs away followed by Sir Kristen Cole. Then Viserys gets wasted. Fucking wasted. When when they're doing that scene where everyone's laughing and like the camera gets all dark and he's just pounding fucking wine, I got anxiety. Like, fuck the king, fuck dragons, fuck Westeros. Having to hang out all day long with these fucking people in a tent. Oh, God. With their pugs. I was fully with Rhaenyra on this. There's no reason to go to such a thing. No, I would have hated it. 
All right. So we've got Alicent and Rhaenyra seemingly speaking to each other for the first time in three years. And we find Rhaenyra with a bard sitting under the godswood tree with songs on repeat like an angsty teenager. What do we think of this relationship? I think that Allison's trying to be nice. One, Allison's belly is, I, I don't mean to judge a woman's fake pregnancy in a fantasy it was show. not well done. She's huge. She has like five kids in yeah. there. Yeah, that's why I keep referring to fat baby Aegon too, because we didn't see that birth, but that damn near split her down the middle, I bet. <laughs> yeah, I think Allison is trying to do the right thing here. She's trying to be nice. She's trying to be queenly and yeah, pleasant. I agree. Uh, but I, I mean... How many of our friends from high school are we still friends with? So I think the idea that they would remain friends together forever doesn't make sense. I mean, so it's been three years. The fact that two teenage girls grew apart can happen on its own. Like if she didn't marry the king and we just jumped in here, I could see them being estranged. But she did marry her dad and and gave birth to her half brother. So that'll fuck things up. I don't disagree. I just feel like. It felt like it was the first conversation they had in three years. Yes. Like, have they not said anything <laughs> else to each other in all of that time? <laughs> like, did Rhaenyra, like, confront her? Like, hey, what's going on here? I thought we were going to ride dragons and eat cake. And now you're <laughs> fucking my dad. By the way, riding dragons and eating cake is like my new favorite lesbian terminology, if that's what you're implying between these two girls. Can we talk about... <laughs> What a hero Alicent is for fucking her dad. Because what? You're not a fan? No? Just, she's 15 or eight. I guess maybe she's 18-ish. Yeah. She's a young lady. She's beautiful. You don't think she likes that blonde hair of his? That white hair? And all of the like pussing wounds? I don't think he uses the wounds on her. I think like he keeps those fingers oh, away. Oh, you don't think no. so? He comes out wrapped in gauze. Yeah, I think he preps. I think he preps. <laughs> he's, like, look, he's got like, <laughs> I got to imagine he's wearing little. Look how funny I look, honey. I think like he puts like little condoms on those fingers. <laughs> Just in case, like to protect himself. Our producer did not like that. <laughs> he like has like a stray maggot oh, on his finger. And he shows it up there. Me. Pardon me. Don't mind my maggots. So do you think that you mentioned it's it's been it seems like they haven't had this conversation yet. So we jumped forward in time about three years and it's it sounds like they haven't really had this discussion. Do you think that's going to be a problem with the series? It seems like we're going to continue to make time jumps. Do you think that the audience uh, they mentioned this in the post credit scenes where they talked about like, oh, we're going to we're going to make sure the audience just keeps up. Do you think it leaves gaps, though, where like as an audience member, are you watching that going? They had to have had an argument about this. They had to discuss this at some point. I think that's it's fine to follow the story. I think what we lose is character connection. Okay. So I don't hear how they handle this problem. So I don't have a horse in the race. I'm not team Rhaenyra or team out. I think it's really why it's been so hard for me to like. Yeah. Team up or like cheer for someone. I don't feel particularly pulled to anyone because I don't have those like conversations where you can empathize and and relate to these characters. So we just have these big blow ups and literal blow ups. Yeah. Yeah, You kind of miss the nuance (laughs) throughout the way. Yeah. So it's hard. It's yeah, it's hard um, to blame anyone 
The only thing that I'll go back to is what we said in a a previous episode. I really feel like Allison not telling Rhaenyra that she was hanging out with Daddy-O. Yeah. Never mentioning it and just kind of sideswiping her with it is really where the betrayal for me is. But I don't know because Rhaenyra has not told us. We're we're inferring about all the things that could possibly be the reason for her to be mad. Yeah, so. I think the vibe I get from Rhaenyra is that she's more mad about being passed over. It seems or because of her friend's decisions when they're in the cart on their way to the hunt. She says like, oh, I'm always being reminded of my duty and I'm always being this and no one's here to see me. Ceaselessly. Yeah, she seems like she's acting out because of her role. It seems disconnected at the moment. In this episode, from her relationship with Alicent, there's nothing personal there between the two of them. It seems like she treats Alicent like just as the mom I don't, of the threat, not someone on her own. At this point in the story, I don't think that Rhaenyra gives a shit that her best friend birthed the boy that's going to take the heir away mm-hmm. from her. I don't think that's something that she really cares about. Throughout these three episodes, she's, or at least the two and quarter episodes at this point she's made it very clear that she knows exactly where she stands she knows that her father wants a boy she knows that she was named heir only because of damon being turned away she knows where she stands i don't think she cares that the line continued she seemed to accept that notion i think i think this circles the drain around her not knowing and then potentially like being in love with allison herself yeah Yeah, I think that makes sense. So I think one of the things I found really interesting was I felt a little let down in episode three because I felt like the ending to episode two set up this dynamic between the two women, Rhaenyra and Allison, as like a showdown. Like here are these close friends. Obviously, Allison had been keeping her relationship with the king separate. They had that moment, that look we talked so much about. And then we skip three years in the future and we miss. So this is love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we we skipped three years and we didn't see them talk about it. We didn't see them argue. We didn't see them fight. No. So we did not. I mean, the closest thing we see them is when they're arguing over the bard, when they're deciding who gets to be in charge of the bard. Uh, and I guess queen wins there as opposed to princess. It's like queen checkmate. Do you think first, do you think they were going to mend their relationship? And two, Do you think it's important that they do or have we just moved on? They're no longer friends. I think that we're getting all that we are going to get from them. And I don't and obviously we seem to know where we're marching towards. So I I do not think that there will be a mending. I don't think there will be even a pretend mending. Yeah. And I think for me, that kind of bums me up because I uh, and again, I mentioned this comparison in the books and the books are wildly different ages. They're not really mentioned as friends or or. Uh, certainly close friends like they are indicated in the first episode. So I feel like, yeah, if we don't come back to them somehow, I think we might have missed something there. Yeah. Uh, The show, meaning in the adaptation. I think maybe it's easier for people to relate to losing a friend than to relate to having a good relationship and then a bad relationship with your stepmother. Yeah. Um, And I think in this case, the showrunners probably decided to age her down and make them friendship because that's more relatable to the general population. I'm just guessing rather than having her start with a good relationship with a stepmother that falls apart. So King Viserys looks at his troublesome little daughter who's running around causing problems. And he says, got to get this bitch married. 
That's that's what he moves towards. Right. It's it's his tradition. Uh, it's part of his duty to have her married. And he says he it strengthens the line, strengthens the line. Uh, even he is not above tradition. He yells. Oh, I love that line. That was great. Even I am not above this Rhaenyra. <laughs> Let's go through her suitors. So there's a couple of of options here. Let's let's go back and forth on on a few of the options that are discussed. Lead, lead us off here with our lion. Jason Lannister, a twin. Oh, it runs in the Lannister line, I suppose. Twins. He's a massive piece of shit. Yes. He's the Lord of House Lannister, which is one of the richest houses in the realm. Not not the second richest, but one of them. <laughs> it's one of the most powerful houses in the Western lands. Jason's pitch is largely around having money, good wine. I can dig a dragon pit for you. But it's also important to remember that before the conquest, all the hundreds of petty kingdoms in Westeros, the Lannisters were the most powerful kingdom. And that was only 100 years ago. His pride has pride. Is that how you wanted me to read it? <laughs> like that? That was perfect. I do a great Patty Constantine, apparently. Jason Lannister, what's your hot take on? on he has a couple of scenes, but he has one scene in particular where he's trying to, to really woo Rhaenyra. What's your takeaway from that? He's very rapey. Oh, yeah? He's very rapey. I'm I'm not into that. The way he was staring at her as she was walking, I was very rapey. So I wasn't into it. My my experience with Lannisters, I mean, they're, they're good looking. He wasn't specifically good looking. Mm. And they're charming. There was no charm. Zero charm. No, none charm. Do you think that when he offered to build her a dragon pit that that was sexual innuendo? Or do you think he actually wants dragons? <laughs> I didn't even go there. Um... <laughs> I mean, I think that if uh, a most powerful house of the past has the opportunity to have a dragon in their land, <laughs> in their castle, makes them powerful. Yeah. What do you think of uh, what do you think of the Jason Lannister? I think I got the same thing. I got the the weird vibes from him. He was a dude that didn't give a shit about her, especially when he references later on to King Viserys that he implies that you know, Rhaenyra is not going to be queen. And he gets kind of shit on for that uh, pretty brutally. I think what he's doing is, one, he's trying to up jump his position. He's trying to get a dragon. And two, he's trying to get the, another queen that wasn't. So he's trying to pull the same thing that Corlys Valerian did in a way where he's saying, listen, I'm going to get the most powerful woman in the world who's not queen because we're not going to have women who are queen. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to get a princess uh, who was almost queen. And... He kind of brags about it like, like, you guys are pretty good, but the Ars Lannisters are the shit, too. So, like, you know, if she's got to go somewhere, might as well be Casterly Rock. He makes a, a good pitch in fairness, but total douche. Total douche. He was, like, telling her about the view from the roof. I felt like she was about to be, like, locked up there in, like, a tower or something. Yeah. <laughs> but if he if he was making a sexual endowendo with the dragon pit, I think he was making a sexual endowendo by giving the king a spear and saying, this is a gift. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to ram it up or, you know, it just kind of felt oh, no. yucky. <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, so that was Jason. Jason was our, our bachelor number one. Uh, bachelor number two this episode. So we get the same guy that the king pulled into the council room for his... Lionel Strong. Lionel Strong has approached the bench to tell him who he thinks 
she should marry, who Rhaenyra should marry. And he said, he's like, oh, I bet it's your son. He's like, well, I'm flattered, sir. (laughs) But no. And then he makes the pitch for our next guy. Laner Valerian. So Laner Valerian is Corlys and Rainey's eldest son. He of the white dreadlocks. He was like a baby two episodes ago. Now he's a grown man. Yeah, he's a, he's a, a good looking feller now. He is I got news for you. Mm-hmm. And so he's he's the uh, heir to Driftmark and to House Valerian. And uh, he has a couple of cool scenes in this episode, in particular towards the end uh, with the the battle sequence at the Stepstones. So we'll we'll a kind couple. of hold. He dabbles in the episode. He dabbles. Though the logic here, because at this stage, Lionel Strong, who's making the pitch for for Laner Valerian, doesn't yet know what's going on to happen at the Stepstones. He's pitching it as, listen, Viserys, King Viserys, you had a chance to marry a Corliss and Rainey's daughter to unite the two houses. You Make it right. Make it right. Yeah. This is the way to make it right, is to now have your daughter marry their son. What do you think about this pitch? Is, is Strong onto something here? Yeah, I think obviously his, this is... The way to mend fences. This is the uniting of the two houses. So you think this is the way to go, though? You think this is the this is the best approach here? I think it's the best offer on the table. Well, especially because Bachelor number three. Because it gets worse. <laughs> yeah, Bachelor number three. So Otto Hightower rolls in. Sorry, the king does indicate he was drowning in potential suitors. Parchment. Right. Drowning so in parchment. There are more. So there are plenty more. Yes. But the top three... Baby Aegon, bachelor number three, her half-brother. Child of her her bestie and, and father. You know, only 16 years apart. No biggie. So as gross as it sounds, Otto's suggestion to marry Rhaenyra to her younger brother actually has a lot of precedence. So Aegon the Conqueror married his two sisters, and Targaryens do incest marriages all the time to keep the bloodline pure. The weird thing in Fire and Blood is sometimes when they mention this, they'll be like, oh, well, they don't really get along. Like, that's the reason not to marry a brother and sister is that, like they don't get along. <laughs> so it's a weird mix. And here, the the argument, even from King Viserys, isn't that the age isn't that their brother and sister. His argument is the age gap, which just shows you how weird the Targaryens are. This is the problem with this scenario. <laughs> that's the, yeah. This is what gets you. Um, so <laughs> and it was the same with um, Lena. That that was the age gap. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But this came, this suggestion came from good old Otto Hightower, a guy who has a horse in the race, huh? He'd like to see his little grandbaby. Yeah. From Otto's perspective. So if we play, if we ignore the incest for a second, Mm -hmm. which we say far too often on Game of Thrones, um, but if we ignore the incest for a second, his argument is you've named your daughter Rhaenyra to be heir to the throne. That's caused some problems. You now have a a son who a lot of people assume is the heir to the throne. If you just marry these two people, problem solved. Yeah, that's true. It's the same argument many folks made during Game of Thrones season eight. When they're like, well, if Jon Snow and Danny yeah. just marry, we don't have to worry about this. We, and don't, so Otto's, we don't have to worry. We just don't have to worry about it. So Otto is not coming from an entirely ridiculous place. It certainly seems ridiculous, but his argument in of, that world, listen, it's, yeah, in that world, he's saying at some point people are going to pick sides. Yeah. Let's just make them all on the same team and solve this. Yeah. And it would give Rhaenyra plenty of time to not have to be married. 
<laughs> for a while. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> She'd get another 10, 15 years. Out of, yeah, not having to worry about it. So while all this is going on, uh, Viserys gets super drunk and starts talking about how he's a dreamer. Well, he wants to be very so very badly. So the king's cupbearer and daughter and in theory heir is gone. Rhaenyra runs off. She's angry and King Viserys yeah. ends up totally alone and is hitting the wine hard. <laughs> Do we think that the party king has lost his political clout? I think Viserys is being used by these folks and he knows he's being used by these folks and he can't seem yeah. to find a way to fix it. And I, I actually his decision to pick Allison Hightower last episode makes more sense to me now just because no one had suggested it. King Viserys says at one point in this that if he had told his daughter not to marry Lannister, that she would have ran off to Casterly Rock in a heartbeat. Yeah. That she does things despite him. I feel like he gets that because that's what he does. He makes decisions despite these people. I think the Allison Hightower was a stop telling me to marry Corliss's daughter. I'll marry whoever the fuck I want. And then with this, she just wants her father's attention. How does he not see this? He's he's just not good at being a king or a, or a, a father. Yeah. I, having skin. Yeah. He's bad at having skin. But I think this <laughs> this speaks to his. He has this stubbornness that she has where he's going to make decisions based on what he wants. And I think the trick throughout this episode, as we'll get into, is that he's looking for these signs because he's so indecisive on his own and he doesn't trust any of the advice he gets from people. He knows he's always being manipulated. So everyone keeps giving him advice. And like Lionel, when when Lionel gives him that advice, that is that seems to be for the second episode in a row, unbiased advice. Yeah. He pats Lionel on the chest as like he walks past him like a genuine. Yeah. Thank you. So. I think what King Viserys is looking for in his dreams and in these this elk hunt that they're on is, can I get some pure advice? Can I get some advice? Can I get some guidance that isn't tainted by, as he puts it, all this politicking? And you know what we'll never know? Why is Lionel such a good guy? Because all we get are these yeah. <laughs> little bits and pieces um, that lead us to believe he's trust trustworthy. Do you think that there's anyone else in the King's circle that he can trust? I don't even think he can trust Rhaenyra because I think she's being a little bit of a brat. Mm. I understand. I, yeah, I understand why, but. Well, he can't trust her. I think if he told her something, he could trust her to keep it. Uh, I think that he could trust her in the sense of like, she's not going to betray him. Yes. Yes. But I think that at least right now, but I think that you're right. She, he can't trust her to do what's expected of her. Right. Yeah. And I think he can trust. I think that's a good point. I think he can trust Alicent to a degree, but Alicent at this stage seems naive. Mm. So I don't know. She she gives some good advice later on when she's she's asking about like uh, whether or not he should get involved in the Stepstones. I think that Alicent so far is either actually naive or slow playing how much she knows to be the dutiful wife. I'm not sure which it is. I think that she's she's very dutiful to her role for her father. So I don't think that anything the King tells her is off the table necessarily, but I don't, I, I think like you that she's naive. She's not doing it to hurt the King. She's doing it as her like duty to her father. And yeah, 
in that the the king does feel very comfortable talking to her and he lets out a few different big things yeah yeah that he realized in his drunken stupor by this enormous fire which you know it's t- probably totally fine for a fully pregnant woman to be standing next to a huge <laughs> gigantic smoky fire it's cool um so We've talked at length about how the Targaryen visions are misleading and cause the Targaryens to go mad and make terrible choices. But he admits to Alicent that his dream made him kill Emma. Yeah. That he's having doubts about naming Rhaenyra heir. And these revelations are, you know, for me, I feel like you're goddamn right. You killed your wife. Thank you for finally saying so. (laughs) I think that the doubts he's having about naming Rhaenyra heir are, are outward doubt, but they're coming from people, not like inside of his own okay. self. But I do think that the more he tells Alicent these things, the more they will be used against him. What do you think about these revelations? Yeah. When shit hits the fan here. So based on his belly and his missing fingers, it's obvious that King Viserys isn't going to live forever. <laughs> I think what I find interesting is that it seems to me this Rhaenyra verse Aegon now slash his mom, Alicent, is totally held together by King Viserys alone, that he yells at a Lannister about it. He says it's treason to even discuss anyone outside of his heir right now. No one has picked sides because the king is alive. So you can't pick you can't argue over his heirs. When he's alive. Like Rhaenys warned. Yeah, right, right. She said, hey. He's going to die. And when he does, he's not going to have any control over who the realm selects. That protection goes away. So I think to your point, can he trust Alicent now? Yes, I think Mm -hmm. so. What Alicent does when he dies and what other people do with her and with her son is maybe a different story. Yeah. It's like she hasn't realized her own power yet. Yes. Like Alicent orders the singer away and it's almost like she, she's asserting her power in a playful way. Yeah. But she's stepping into her role as the king, as the queen <laughs> or the king, you know, whatever you identify as Alicent is cool. <laughs> it's like, she's, she's still in this naive stage, but as she realizes her power, she's going to have all of this ammunition. But I think there's this element right now where her job is only to be mom to a child. Like she talks about like, oh, the other women loved hanging out with the baby. It's a baby right now. I don't think he is recognized yet as like, oh, he's going to be the king. He's going to like at some point it comes from being a baby to a political tool. Hmm. And I don't know if she's recognized that yet. No. Because she's like, oh, all the people were doting over the baby and the baby's so cute. And every time you see the baby, there's like 10 people playing with it. I think right now it's fun and it's a baby. God, I wish I had these freaking people around. (laughs) 10 people to distract your child for five minutes so you can like, I don't know, think. (laughs) Yeah. Must be nice. (laughs) Yeah. There is no Game of Thrones in our world. It's just the game of tired. You're just always tired. So as we look at what's happening here in these scenes, those are sort of the internal turmoils of of sort of this picking who's who's going to marry his daughter. But King Viserys is actually here for a hunt. And this is to honor his baby. And it's this big event. 
Uh, so what I found was interesting was that George R. R. Martin actually said one of his least favorite scenes in the original Game of Thrones was Robert Baratheon's hunt because it's only like three dudes walking through the woods. And, our, you know, George said, you know, those are budget concerns. He understands that a royal hunt would be this giant event. And so I think we got to see that. Budget concerns? <laughs> budget concerns over a hunt? Have you seen the makeup on the freaking Crab Daddy? All the marketing materials just to like hide in a cave and kill him in two seconds? <laughs> Come on. They couldn't give the Baratheon the proper send off. The, the key thing about this hunt, we talked about this a little bit ago, is that essentially everyone else goes out and hunts down an animal and then they let the king kill it because that's how this kind of nonsense works. Like a toddler. Yeah. All right. Do it yourself. Yeah. Here's your sword. <laughs> <laughs> they have this white heart that they spot, meaning, meaning a, a deer, and they point out that that's a symbol. And it's, it's an important symbol because it used to be a symbol of, of royalty in this area back in the day. So they're very excited about, about him being able to kill this white deer, but they end up not finding the white heart. They end up finding a, a regular old deer. I mean, it was huge horned animal. It was a huge deer. Yeah, <laughs> it was still a big ass stag. I also, did you make any, any connection there? Again, the, the Baratheons are around at this time. But uh, did you make any connection there with the fact that it is a Targaryen killing a stag, uh, which is what happens in reverse, you know, some 200 years later that the Baratheons kill the dragons? You know, I didn't exactly, but I did. It did cross my mind that isn't there a sigil with a stag on it? I just didn't. My thought process didn't go any yep. farther than that. Bobby B. That's really interesting. So Viserys sees this white stag, this white heart as a sign that uh, that Aegon, his son, uh, should maybe be the heir. Celebrating his name day. It's showing itself. It hasn't done so in a while. Yeah. And then his drunk ass shows up to kill the deer. With a fairly phallic gift from the Lannisters. <laughs> yes, a very phallic gift from the Lannisters to, to kill the deer. But when he shows up, it's just uh, it's a big deer, but it's not the white uh, heart no. that he had imagined. And he has this moment right before he stabs it where I think he recognizes, I was waiting for a symbol. And what I see in Patty Considine, the actor's face there, is I see two things. I see first, I'm waiting for a symbol. I'm waiting for a sign. And I didn't get it. And then he stabs the, the deer and it doesn't die. Nope. And then I think he goes, no, I did get the sign. <laughs> and it's a bad sign. Like, I think then he realizes, no, this is still a sign. And it's even worse than not getting a sign. This is a sign that I fucked up. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I, I shouldn't be going down this path. Aegon isn't my heir. I've already chosen my heir. And, and so do you feel like he's getting what he wants in that moment there? Do you think that that's that, that he's relieved in some way? What do you get out of that scene from him? I want it. I really wanted to comment on his hangover dress. But we're not going to go there. <laughs> um, I, I found that there were a lot of parallels in the scene. They were restraining the stag for the king. And he was in making the decision. And in this case, also stabbing the stag poorly to death. To his wife's death, being restrained as they like pulled his child out of her. Yeah. So it was it was terrible to watch. 
Um, it was torture for the animals, torture for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. to watch. I, I, listen, I, this isn't a PETA thing. I understand people have to hunt and people have to eat. And I live in a world where I get my meat from a styrofoam and plastic wrapped container. I get it. <laughs> I don't know if I believe Viserys felt the situation specifically was a sign, but I do believe that because it wasn't the white stag and nobody told him, they weren't like, Hey, we've got a stag. It's not the white one, but come on, hop on your horse. Right. And right. how funny <laughs> is it that there's a guy that like walks around with a staircase for the king to <laughs> hop off of his horse. I mean, who gets like your job is the Royal staircase <laughs> carrier. Like what the fuck was that job? <laughs> What do you think the symbolism of the episode overall says about the choices he's made now during his rule? And like, how do you think that's going to manifest for his future? It's indecision. I think he makes a call and then he regrets it. And I think we see this with Damon and the Stepstones. We see this with his son and his wife, what yeah. he decided to do during the birth. Uh, he admits in the fire that, you know, sort of that was the wrong decision. I think he realizes the way he's been treating uh, Rhaenyra. I think what it will really say a lot about King Viserys is, does he learn from these mistakes or does he just keep making them and acknowledge them? Is he just a man full of regret? Because what I see so far is that he eventually figures out what the right call was. He realizes his mistake, but is it always too late to fix it? Um, now, Maybe Alicent perhaps is is trying to be a little more aggressive in that. Maybe she sees that weakness or that hesitancy because she actually ignores her dad's sort of plotting mm -hmm. around making her son the king. Yep. And then she gives some good advice to King Viserys about Damon and the Stepstones. She sees a parchment. She sees the parchment like in the corner of her eye. And she's like, may I? Yeah. Right. So do, do you think that she's showing signs that maybe she's waking up from her naivete that we discussed or, or seeing her place as queen? Maybe. Yeah, this is definitely another situation um, in her kind of growing into her power where she's get, given the king some advice and he's he sent ships because of her advice. So I yeah. think I think she's still at this point, Team Rhaenyra. She seems like pretty yeah. genuine, maybe even to your point, naive, especially in like this world, but she lost her mother. She can't connect to her father. We've only seen her brother long enough to have him beat up by Damon. She's connected <laughs> to Viserys in a way that I truly believe still is she's in love with him. And yeah, she's growing into not only her love for him, but she's growing into her role as queen. And I think Viserys trusts her. Do you think that Allison has actually managed to become a decent queen in the last few years? Sure. But I also think the stakes are pretty low. We are still in peacetime. Yeah. She's just still being a wife. Yeah. Yeah. She's just her job right now is to produce children as awful as that sounds. That's what they are telling us. Yeah. And so far, so good, I guess. I, I think, yeah, where I'm worried about is, is shit's going to hit the fan um, and this isn't this isn't spoilers from the books. This is what you feel this tension building to of this this standoff between Rhaenyra and her brother that maybe is coming now. Um, and Allison's going to have a vital part to play in this. So far, so 
good. If shit hits the fan. Shit's going to hit the fan. This is Game of Thrones. Everything's going to hit the fan. Shit will be all over the fan. So Rhaenyra's had her temper tantrum. She's run away. Um, she is walking through the King's Wood with Christian Cole. Rhaenyra's, she's always been keenly aware of her place, like I said before. This has not changed. Mm -hmm. The rest of the realm is celebrating her brother with the hunt of the White Heart. She spends the day asking Christian how much ass he got before he joined the Kingsguard. <laughs> that night, a very rude fucking boar knocks Kristen on his ass. No, he fucking flips him, okay? <laughs> this boar flips Kristen over. How it is possible that this boar can flip a full-grown knight in armor, but <laughs> Rhaenyra is able to hold him off with her freaking hands. Whatever. <laughs> they kill it together. In fact, Kristen stabs it from behind as it's on top of Rhaenyra. It starts to kind of wake up again. She stabs it repeatedly, and she's covered in blood. The next day, the White Heart finds our princess freshly bloodied from her boar fight, and she decides she doesn't want to kill it. They bring back pulled pork sandwiches to the brood. <laughs> and once she's back in King's Landing, King Viserys tells Rhaenyra she's still his heir and she will get to choose who her husband will be. It seems like Rhaenyra has finally found someone to talk to in the last three years. I mean, it's her personal guard. He's a king's guard. What do you think this episode has told us about their relationship over the past few years? I really like how... Some of the elements I like most about House of the Dragon are related to seeing really how like vassalage works and this sort of fake medieval world works. So he was a nobody. And he had some battle experience and she chose him to put on the guard. And so he's loyal to her. It seems like he's protective of her, like outside of his position. He when he sees her running away, he said it was like the best thing that ever happened to him. Like she, he was like grateful to her for choosing yeah. him. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. When she mentioned she doesn't have any power, he's like, you, you know, you basically gave me a life and meaning. It seems powerful to me. So I think it's really important to see that there are all these rich lords and ladies running all around the place, but you can have an impact on sort of the small folk. You can have an impact on someone's life. Mm -hmm. So at at this stage, I really like that they're they're demonstrating that. She saw something in Christian Cole and rewarded him for it. And he is really duty bound to her. Right now, he's giving me very strong, like, um, Lady Brienne vibes at this stage. Like, he's locked mm. in on her. He's her guy. Like, yeah, and I believe that she chose... Like, some people choose to believe it was for looks. I choose to believe her reasoning, which is because he had the experience on his resume. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I wasn't getting any any, like... Like, obviously, they're two young, attractive people and they talked to, you know, they were talking a little about their past experiences, but I wasn't getting like any predatory vibes yeah. or any anything he, like that. He were said you? it to her like a like a big brother. He was very like he was yeah. like, what did he say? I had an adventurous youth or something like that. I felt yeah, it's not like yeah. he was like, yeah, I banged a lot of chicks. Nudge, nudge. You know what I mean? Right. Um, which I thought was a very thoughtful way to explain that to someone who's she wasn't asking about his experience. She was asking if he knew what it felt like to be asked to do something against his will. Right. So I just think that the relationship seems very like big brother, little sister. I, I to that point, I think her in this episode, I think she she was largely the bratty little sister 
the bratty daughter, right? She's rebelling. She's acting against her father and her stepmom and even him. But I thought, yeah, he still had that like, well, I'm going to rebel with you, but keep an eye on you. Yeah. Right. Because he like he even says at one point, he's like, I must insist we head back. But he's not dragging her back. Right. He's like, I've got to say this. Yeah. It's like he climbed down into the hold with her and was like, all right, we're pissed. Let's do it. Do you think that moments like that where like he also joked with her about like killing the Lannister? I think he's doing a really good job of of being uh, again in a few scenes we saw of being a, a a good ear to her that he's like she can vent with me she can she can yeah. get that frustration out and it's sort of safe. It kind of makes me sad to think that this is her outlet over the past few years. It makes me sad that she's so very isolated because even as much as they talked during this, it, it felt very like your therapist and not someone that you're like maybe truly connected to. Um, Sometimes in those moments when you're experiencing things, getting advice is not what you want. Um, So being connected to someone and being able to be down in the ditch with them is important. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me. I enjoy the show. Do not get me wrong. I'm very glad to be back in Westeros, but I do feel like it's, a lot harder for me to connect to these characters with these time jumps because I'm not getting a lot. Yeah. You know, it feels I think some people might say it feels like there's a lot of conversations and not a whole lot of action um, that, you know, Game of Thrones became so loved um, for. But I think we're getting a lot of conversations um, explaining big themes and not a lot of those connection points. And so for me, it's just a little harder to like I can infer, but I can't really believe that. This is her new bestie. This is her new Allison or her new Emma. Yeah. I don't think he's I don't think he's filling those roles. And it makes me sad to think that he might be. Well, speaking of these big action moments and less quiet character moments, let's swing south to the Stepstones. So last we checked in, in the Stepstones, Damon and Lord Corliss decided to go throw down in the Stepstones and fight Crab Daddy. And apparently it's been three years and shit is not going well. Crab Daddy and his friends keep uh, attacking ships and then hiding in the caves. So it's making it difficult for the dragons to get to them. And there's even a little bit of talk of some mutiny, some mutiny on the bounty. Uh, Some folks are getting a little pissed off at Damon. So we swing by a council meeting here down in the Stepstones and it's Lord Corliss Valerian and his brother Vaemon. And uh, his son, Lainor, who we talked a little bit about earlier, who we're trying to match up with young uh, Rhaenyra. And the three of them are kind of arguing about their approach. They're talking about how no one's listening to Damon anymore. Uh, Lainor has some killer lines where he jokes about his uncle being the master of complaints. And then he sort of pitches this idea that they need to draw everyone out of the caves by using Damon. And everyone's kind of like, that's a silly idea, right? It's not going to work. So... As they're making all these plans, Damon shows up and they bring him a letter from his brother, uh, King Viserys, who offers aid. And Damon immediately gets pissed because it means his brother's going to steal his thunder. So he rowboats his ass over there. That's why he was pissed? Yeah, he doesn't want his brother to get all the glory. Jeez. He like killed that guy. Did he kill that guy? He beat the shit out of the messenger. So he did beat the shit out of the messenger, but he was pulled off. And then he. Damon doesn't know the rules. You don't kill the messenger. He rowboats over to Crab Daddy. He waves a white flag. And as everyone draws out to see him to surrender, 
he starts to fight them all. So he kind of like commits a war crime, fakes a surrender, starts fighting them all, starts running from bows and arrows. And then Crab Daddy starts waving and letting people in. So now everyone's coming out of the caves to fight him. And then Lanor shows up, uh, Lanor Valerian, with his dragon, Sea Smoke. So Lanor is a dragon rider. He shows up with his dragon. He takes out all the archers. And then the rest of Corliss and his troops come flooding in. So this sort of using Damon as the bait drew everyone out. And then Damon chases uh, Crab Daddy into one of the caves and comes wandering out with half of his body. Now the other half theoretically cut off. So a crazy scene, a big battle scene. Can a sword be that strong, like sharp to cut through like your spinal cord and all the things? We're going to say sure, only because we've seen it done before. The really weird thing about Game of Thrones is that they wear armor and then are immediately slashed through the armor and bleed all the time, which is the point of the armor to prevent that. But it's neither here nor there. They get stabbed all the fucking time through their armor. But yeah, so that sort of puts an end to Crab Daddy. Nicole, what do you think about the Crab Daddy ending before we sort of get into some of the details? Crab Daddy in and out. He's gone. I just I, earlier I said they they spent so much money on his makeup, on these shot, these beautiful shots. He's so cool looking. You feel like this is the the season long villain. And yeah, I mean, the screen time was very short, maybe even shorter than Emma's screen time. And you don't even get to see his death or understand what's happened over the last few years or understand motive. It's just the end. Yeah, I th- they kind of bookended him. So the opening scene is in the Stepstones, and it's a it's a pretty cool scene. He's torturing folks. It looks like he's captured a, a Valerian ship, and he's torturing some folks. He nails him his two his hands up to oh my god, and places the crabs on him. Ugh, gross. Yeah, and then Damon shows up on his dragon to cause some problems, and the guy's like, "Yeah, save me, my prince." And then Damon's dragon steps on the men. Um, which is kind of cool, uh, but <laughs> steps I, I think on him what, makes it sound like he like, oopsies, he crushed that man. I I think that shows a little bit about Damon though, right? So Damon, I don't I don't think Damon wants to like kill his people or anything, but they're less important to him than his glory, right? Like Damon's there to make a name for himself. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he was having the d- the dragon tiptoe around to avoid the bodies yeah. on the beach. <laughs> Just like having the dragon walk as if they're Legos. <laughs> I think what was interesting, though, did you find it? So in in Game of Thrones, when Danny had her dragons, it was sort of the, oh, there's nothing we can do about our dragons. And then they sort of set up those scorpions, which worked like in one episode and then never worked again. So in this, you figure with the dragons again, they can't be overmatched. But I thought it was very interesting here how it was like, well, we'll just hide in caves. Fuck your dragons. Did did you find it interesting that we sort of were able to minimize the dragons a little bit here, that there is a sort of response? At least you can hide. I don't think that a, a non-motivated villain in the show who senselessly kills and feeds people to crabs feels like a cowardly person. I feel like hiding in the caves is a cowardly <laughs> move. Um, and I, I wasn't impressed by that. I wasn't, you're, you, you're winning a war or a battle or whatever yeah. over three years because 
you're hiding. Like, I think it's incredibly frustrating for the Valerians who are basically of are treasonous and turn against the the king to fight this battle. Um, and they're not seeing any progress. I do think that it's interesting the the kind of discussions that brought up though <laughs> for them with Damon stepped away um, that they believe that they should go against Damon. What was interesting there, too, is this sort of like, like you said, it's kind of cowardly, this like, let's just hide. That's essentially what Dorne did, the Seventh Kingdom, when Aegon the Conqueror came. They would just like abandon towns. And then they, like, so the dragons would show up and there'd be nobody there. And then they, like the dragon would leave and they'd go back to town. One of the things that I, I was a little bit frustrated with was the the Damon fake surrender running through the sequence. So it was cool. I liked it. It was awesome. But I do think it gets a little too much into the Game of Thronesy stuff that I don't like. He had to have killed 60 some people in that that run. And uh, I understand this is fantasy, but in a historical battle. But it was like five at a time. No, it was like five at a time. And so I was like, why are they just sending five out? He's handling five. Yeah. Send 10. Yeah. Send 10 people. Maybe they'll come. They'll co- <laughs> overcome him. But they're like, nope. All right. He killed those five. Send five more. Yeah, I so this is a complaint, I think, that that is fair against Game of Thrones. And I don't know that I have an answer for it, but you see Damon do it here. You want to show that Damon's a badass. So you have him kill like 30 dudes at once. We've done this with Jon Snow. Um, when we showed Sir Arthur Dane in the flashbacks uh, oh, yeah. in, in Game of Thrones and Sir Arthur Dane's considered one of the greatest sword fighters of all time. Mm-hmm. The producers specifically said they gave him two swords just to make him look badass that they know Two swords would never be something that anyone actually operated with on the battlefield, but they wanted to show how badass he was. I do think there's sometimes this element of like, hey, if I see him win five sword fights, I know he's good. If I see him win 10 sword fights in a row, okay, now you guys are being a little ridiculous. Twenty, He fought 20 guys and one against, now he's superhuman. So I, for me, it kind of pushes it. Did you still find it believable or did you think it was a bit too much? Does it tell you a little bit about the caliber of people that they're fighting? I mean, oh, yeah, sure. It could be a very strategic way to thwart a, a dragon rider and it's fire by hiding in caves, which I feel like you could stick the dragon at the end of the cave and like cook these people. But whatever. <laughs> um, but if you think about like the type of people who came out of there, they were in cloth. They weren't like armored up. They seemed well, that's true. That's they a good point. seemed very like hungry <laughs> and you know, moist. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> no one should say that word. I think that it was cool looking, but I just didn't I would have I know it, I think a lot of people might say, and my husband's one of them, that this was a better episode because of the action. But I think I would have been more satisfied if there was a conversation. I wanted to hear about Crab Daddy's motivation. What's going on here? Yeah. Maybe it doesn't matter in the big scheme of things, but I was really looking for more. I think that's like kind of the theme right now. I'm looking for more, more connection, more understanding that I'm getting. Something that I worry about for non-book fans is while this is all going down, you mentioned there's like no conversation. There's no it's just he's a pirate type guy, period. Right. Who looks cool. But then Lanar shows up on his dragon, Sea Smoke, and, you know, he's excited and he runs around. He does a badass scene. Right. He, He takes on some archers. 
I do worry that in the the book, it's very clear who's a dragon rider, who has dragons, when they have dragons, because it just kind of is is like history text. So it says like, oh, well, Laner was born. He was given a dragon. His sister was born. She was given a dragon. So there's no surprises. What I do worry about is in episode two, we had the moment where Otto Hightower and those guys approached Damon and Damon's dragon showed up to save him. And then you're like, oh, OK, well, the dragon's there. And then a few moments later, Rhaenyra shows up with her dragon. Yeah. And then here it's like, OK, we know there's a dragon coming, but Dame, it can't be Damon's. Damon's not there with his dragon. And then, oh, it's Laner and a dragon. Well, I actually thought I, it was his. I was thinking it would be just like not non-operated dragon. <laughs> well, see, I think one of the things I worry about the show doing and so is trying to use like this this deus ex machina with dragons where it's just the audience doesn't know who has or doesn't have dragons. So we get to just constantly surprise people with dragons. I know from reading the books that a lot of these characters should have dragons, but like you didn't know, right, that Laner would have a dragon. I didn't know. No, but I didn't. I think there's a lot of questions out there around like lineage and how he can ride a dragon. Um, but it was pretty clear to me that he was a Targaryen child, even if not by name, uh, but by blood. And so I didn't actually, once I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So I was totally fine with him being a, a dragon rider. In fact, he single-handedly <laughs> took out the rest of the team. The plan was good. What does this say about his reputation now going forward, do you think? Do you think this changes things for Lenore? Yeah, that's a good point. When we talk earlier about Lionel Strong talking about, you know, Laner as an option, we already thought he was a decent option uh, for Rhaenyra uh, as Bachelor number two. I think this puts him as as like primo Bachelor now. Yeah. A, in terms of like, hey, he just helped win a battle because uh, he was badass. Dragon or not. Right. Right. It is, it's a battle victory. Especially from the f from the point of view of King Viserys is no longer angry and... Corliss is not in trouble anymore. He was sending yeah, his yeah, sure. his men, his ships to back them up in their um, battle. Um, so they're in good in good favor with the king somehow three years later. Yeah. Yeah. He'll be able to come back sort of a champion mm -hmm. and be like, yeah, I helped. I helped close this with Damon, you know, your brother. And, and yeah. Yeah. So I think he'll be able to march back to King's Landing like hot shit. Yep. So we just talked about uh, the lineage and me kind of understanding it, but I'm I'm aware that there are more than just me in this world and people are really confused. We thought Targaryens were the only ones who could ride dragons. There's something special in their blood. There's bonding. There's all kinds of things that happen. So I wanted to give a quick explanation about how dragon riders work in the book Fire and Blood. So this isn't Game of Thrones canon, show TV show canon. This isn't necessarily a Song of Ice and Fire canon. This is Fire and Blood book canon. So before the Doom of Valeria, there were lots of Valerian dragon riding houses. In fact, Targaryens were a minor house. They're a big deal now because they're the only dragon riders to escape the Doom. But the main idea behind dragon riding is that you need to have Valerian blood. In the books, there are deep lore conspiracies that Valerians did dark blood magic to be able to ride dragons and may have even created the dragons through spooky crossbreeding stuff. 
Dragons in this world are very intelligent, and while they can be trained and ridden by people with Valerian blood, you sort of need to make them want to be ridden by you. And that's where the bonding comes in. So as far as lore goes, anyone with Valyrian blood can bond with a dragon, but many Targaryens don't try to ride dragons. And some that want to never manage to bond with a dragon. There's lots of stories about people trying to bond with dragons and being killed instead. <laughs> so to help Targaryens bond with dragons, a dragon egg is often put in the crib. As uh, last episode, we talked about Damon stealing an egg to put it in the cradle of his baby. And they're hoping that the egg hatches and the two are bonded for life. So last thing, dragons are only bonded with one person at a time until the dragon rider dies. No one else can ride that dragon. Dragons live significantly longer than humans. So there's lots of examples of people bonding with dragons after their rider has died. Like King Viserys bonded with Blarian the Black Dread, who was originally ridden by Aegon the Conqueror. So that brings us to our current dragon riders. And we want to be cautious about this list. So this is the current dragon riders that we know of in the show, because we don't want to give spoilers away from who might be a dragon rider in the books. So in the show now, as you mentioned, Viserys used to used to ride Balerion the Black Dread, but has not taken up another dragon since Balerion passed. So then we have Daemon, uh, Prince Daemon, who rides Caraxes, who's badass and deformed and sounds like a weird murder dolphin. Rhaenyra rides Cyrax who is our cute little orange, pink, yellow one. Uh, that's too many colors. It's yellow. I gave you all the colors. And then now Lainor is our third official dragon rider, active dragon rider, who rides a dragon called Sea Smoke. There are other characters that we've met who in the books are mentioned as being dragon riders, but we want to be really cautious that that is not canon in the show yet. So we don't want to give away any spoilers, especially if they're going to do surprise dragons on us again. So as Nicole mentioned why would Lanor have a dragon? Well, he's a Valerian, but he's from Targaryen blood. He's from that same lineage. Both families are from before the Doom of Valeria, so they can have dragons. And so that's why he has one. Let's talk really quickly about some of the Game of Thrones dragon instances outside of Daenerys. Tyrion doesn't get attacked when he goes into the marine dungeon dragon, <laughs> which kind of feeds the theory that his mother was raped by the Mad King and is a Targaryen himself. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. They don't go into that, but that kind of fed that theory. Jon Snow rides a dragon, a.k.a. Aegon, the 12,000th mm. of his name. <laughs> <laughs> he rides a dragon he, uh, named for his father. Also, a fan theory guesses that the dragon seeds, the dudes with the sticks who wrangled C-Rex in episode one, might be lowborn or bastards that have Valyrian blood, which allows them to kind of interact with the dragons safely-ish. And I think that's where this whole thing, like, dragons are essentially the, the nukes of Westeros, right? So there's these incredibly powerful things that are politically advantageous. I mean, the Targaryens would not be in charge if not for dragons. They would not remain in charge if not for dragons. Uh, they don't, right? Spoiler alert for Game of Thrones. I think it's really important to understand that these are a commodity. Yeah. And it's an important political tool um, to be able to use. We see they're valuable in battle, but it's just the thought that you have them as being something that's really there. Exactly what Rhaenyra states when her father tells her that he's going to name her heir. Yeah. We're, we're, we're no different than anyone else except for we have dragons. Yeah. And that's is why when Jason Lannister's making his pitch, 
he's like, you can we'll build a dragon pit. He's not thinking of Rhaenyra. He's thinking of Rhaenyra owning a dragon. And he wants a dragon at Casterly Rocked. Oh, my gosh. The golden Lannisters get the golden dragon. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he's trying to do. That's what he's trying to do. And so it's this political battle of, you know, how do I get a Targaryen? But you, what you really want is a dragon. And the Targaryen is your way to the dragon. Uh, so it's it's this weird sort of, yeah, like nuclear football they're all trying to play with. You can marry a Targaryen and have a baby. You might be able to get yourself a weapon of mass destruction. <laughs> Act now. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes the idea of not marrying Valerian even crazier, right? Like, wouldn't you want to keep the only other house with nukes happy? Yeah, you would think so. But Viserys is not a smart man. So that's the cool part of Westeros, dragon politics. But then there's all the boring tradition stuff. King Viserys and Rhaenyra struggle with the need and wants of tradition, marriage, celebration, ritual. Despite those two being sad, are these traditions only for a king? What about the very bored lords? What about the small folk? Yeah, I think this, one of the things that bugged me about Game of Thrones, and I'm not the only one to to call this out, was that you set up all these families and how vassalage works and, and you know, all these loyalties to your liege lords and all. And then you kind of just throw it all out the window, right? It's, oh, well, we don't like that there was a woman on the on the throne. So we're the kings in the north now. And I don't like the Snows because they married a different girl than I like. So I work for the Boltons now. Cersei destroyed an entire religion and no one blinked an eye. They just like woke up the next day in King's Landing. Like, oh, I guess half our city got blown up. No big deal. Uh, there's there's a lot of pomp and circumstance and politics and fealty that goes into sort of this these medieval kingdoms. So it's interesting to watch everyone vying for that power again and and everyone saying like, oh, well, you know, this person is going to marry this person and that person gave a gift to that person and this person is liege lord to this person. This sort of politicking, I think, is really important because it's how medieval society kind of worked and you're introducing fantasy elements into it. An example of how this doesn't work, right, is is in Game of Thrones, for example, they find out that Peter Baelish, Littlefinger, was trying to put the Stark sisters at odds. And he's the Lord of the Vale at this time. He's the Lord Paramount of the Vale. So he's in charge of the Vale. Uh, he's he's sort of the regent for, for Robin. And they slit his throat in front of of about 50 of his loyal soldiers. And everyone's like, yep, he was a piece of shit. What are you going to do? That's not how medieval society worked. And I get we're in a fantasy world. But you can't establish that all the politicking matters if then just the person with a knife can slit anyone else's throat and everyone else shrugs. So I do like that we're kind of seeing this element of, you know, tradition and, and that the king's frustrated by it and he has to take advice and everyone wants this. This is their lives. So I like that element. I, it adds more world building to it and it makes the politics m more meaningful to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about you, Nicole? Do you find that tedious here? Do you find that more exciting? I get the entertainment aspect. <laughs> they don't have a whole lot yeah. to do, but eat shit and procreate. I just really relate to Princess <laughs> Rhaenyra. I prefer some music and light reading under the godswood. Yeah. So you're not into the, the no, politicking I mean, and, and matters am, of the day. I'm definitely you know. into it from a watching standpoint. But as far as yeah. what I want to do, I, I don't want to deal with the social engagements. And I don't know if you watch Downton yeah. Abbey, but like 
changing for tea, dressing up in yeah. your in your tie and suit for dinner in your dress. It just it's it just seems tedious and annoying and like I can wear my jammies and eat my meal just fine. Thank you. <laughs> so like we've been doing the last couple of weeks, a little lightning round where our producer has prepared some questions about the episode based on the hottest Twitter and Reddit threads so far this week. Let's start with the stupider charge. Jon Snow at the Battle of the Bastards or Damon at the Battle of the Step Zones? Great question. I think Jon Snow at the Battle of the Bastards is dumber. Damon had more cover. He was able to, again, I think he easily dispatched more folks. But your point, they weren't well armored, maybe not well trained. They've been hiding out in caves. Uh, he had he had more hiding spots. Jon Snow was in the wide open. Uh, how about you? Who was dumber? I think Damon was dumber. I side with feeling like John's Battle of the Bastards was better. John died once already. You always wondered the reason why he came back. At this point in the story, you're invested in John's well-being. We also know that there's more to Damon's story because of, you know, history. So I didn't have the same fear of death in that moment. So it just felt a little sillier to me. Yeah, okay. Um, in Entertaining great episode i'm not mad at it but i definitely felt more anxiety so much anxiety watching the battle of the bastards um over the battle of the step zones which was like oh they're still fighting i didn't okay (laughs) (laughs) okay next up will king viserys silly dreams end up being the thing that kills him i think these silly dreams are gonna end up being the thing that kills all the Targaryens, except for Daenerys. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? I, well, her too. Well, okay, fair enough. Yeah, I, think, I mean, the the Targs are fucked. I think the I think if you step back and you say, what are the two big storylines of Game of Thrones that we're aware of? Under Game of Thrones, it was Bran. Bran had a vision, right, of how the world was going to go. And it was weird. He of how the world was going to go. Yeah. He just rewound to the different points. Fast forwarded. He could see it all. Watched it happen. <laughs> and so King and now the Targaryens having the same things. I think it's it's a lot of, you know, they, they reference this. The song is the sort of the dream, right? The song of, of ice and fire is the dream. I think the trick is the Starks knew how to interpret it. And the Targaryens did not. Um yeah, yeah so I, I think mean, it's gonna fuck everyone. Certainly, Daenerys ends up dead. Spoiler alert! But she didn't get the message. She didn't get the memo. No. So, I don't know if the dreams killed her necessarily, but whatever. All right. When King Viserys eventually passes, how many fingers will he have? <laughs> Oof. I think he's gonna be just a thummy man. He's gonna be all thumbs. He's gonna thumbs lo- and stumps. He, just thumbs. Just thumbs and stumps. How about you? I don't think he loses any more fingers. So I think he has one full oh, okay. hand and three. So he's not, he's an eighter. I think he's going to, he's going to have eight. Okay. Okay. I'll take the under on that. I'm taking the <laughs> under on eight. We're prices writing uh, this. <laughs> true or false. Rhaenyra seeing the mythological white heart will convince her that she wants the throne. It shows her, which I mean, I think is how the hero justifies the rise, right? Okay. Like, I don't want it. I don't want it. But the signs are there. And that's how when the hero accepts its position. So, yeah, I think that 
she will finally pursue it. What do you think? I think it may convince her to do it. I also think it's a bit of a bummer that her father is desperately searching for signs like all the time. And she's just like, oh, yeah, I ran away with my my boyfriend night to go cook marshmallows. And we happen to run into the sign my father's been searching for. I just I feel bad for Patty Considine. Poor guy. Next. True or false. Blood Raven keeps sending boars to kill kings and queens of Westeros. He sent the raven to Jon <laughs> Snow to make him Lord Commander. Some fans think he sent the boar that killed Bobby B. Did Blood Raven try to take out Rhaenyra with a boar? True. I'm going to give true on this one. And and here's why. Fuck it. We've got wargs. We've got talking trees. Listening trees. Are they, are they talking? Trees. They're listening. They, they're, they're watching trees. What they can watching watch trees, <laughs> watching trees. Um, I think that there has to be something to be said that animals and nature get involved in this. It's got to mean something. And, you know, when you see the white deer, when you get killed by a boar, when, when it's a stag that they I think in this world, those signs mean something. How about you? Do you think it means anything? So if I could justify that the throne has agency in this story, then I have to also consider that this could be possible. I don't, I like the idea though, that the throne um, can pick off <laughs> at people and like, mm -hmm. Hey, you asshole. <laughs> I don't know if I like the idea that there's someone actually controlling the aspects of the story so directly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's probably true. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, true or false, Miguel Sapochnik, who is uh, one of the showrunners for season one and not the showrunner for season two, just needs a fucking vacation. Ugh. So Miguel has been quoted saying that he was, what was he going to do after Game of Thrones ended? He was going to sleep. He hadn't slept in like 10 years. Yeah. So... <laughs> He was very hesitant to come back on. I'm not, I, I don't know this. He didn't tell me this, but I've read this, that he was <laughs> hesitant to come back on because of the, I don't know why I'm defending myself. Just stop laughing at me. <laughs> um, he didn't know if he wanted to come back on. He had to be convinced. And so I do believe that this poor man needs to get some sleep. It's very stressful. Um, but I do think so far he's come back what I would call a redemption arc for a continued showrunner so far. Yeah. I think he's crushing it. He's crushing it. <laughs> so in game of Thrones season eight, John very casually is able to ride Danny's dragon. Rhaegal in the books. Oh, sure he is. The dragons are <laughs> much. Tyrion watches them while on the boat. <laughs> Do we think everybody is going to be hopping on dragons and hot D? I suspect without spoilers that we will see a ton of fucking dragons. Uh, throughout the series. Uh, and I, I think we've got several more to come just this season alone. Nicole? I do not think so. I think we have maybe two more. All right. Well, yeah, is that your, your over-under? Are you yeah. taking the under on two? I think there's okay. there's two more. And I am not making a call as to whether or not they have riders. I just don't think we're going to get a brood of dragons. Is that the correct grouping okay. for dragons? Brood? So, David, would you rather be eaten by crabs or stomped on by Syraxes? Stomped. I want to be. I wanted to go quick. Yes, yeah, I. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I don't want to be chewed on by little mouths of crabs. Pinched. No thanks. No. Yeah. 
Um, plus, I'm allergic. So, like, I'd probably die from the allergies first, which would be awful. So we have... Well, I don't know. Are you allergic to things if they're eating you? I, I thought you only get allergies from eating it. Well, I'd try to bite the little fucker if he's nipping and tucking at my <laughs> mouth. I'd give him a chomp. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's time to pick our air of the episode. So we've got three this week to pick from. We've got Rhaenyra, Damon, and Aegon as our heirs. Who, who Whose team are you on? So week one and week two, I was with Rhaenyra. I am still with Rhaenyra. Same. She's a brat this week. Yeah. She's a brat. She's a child. She's a bratty brat brat. But she's, yeah, she's a child. I get it. I am a man of tradition. I'm a man of my word. We, I would have bent the knee to her just like everyone else. I'm sticking with it. Although that fat little baby Aegon's a cutie. I want to see him on a little dragon. I want to see him out there. Cute doesn't get you a crown. Well, it can't hurt. <laughs> Rhaenyra's cute too. She's just a child. I, I get it. A lot of this stuff is annoying. But um, Rhaenyra, to me, from what I know about lineage and um, succession, is the next rightful heir. Yeah. Yeah. Let's there's been nothing. I'm not like those fucking Lannisters who are like, well, obviously, since you've had a fat little baby boy like <laughs> Rhaenyra can go suck on my dragon pit. Like, fuck off, dude. That's treason. Wait, was it his dragon pit or her dragon pit? I think I think he was willing to go her dragon. Pit. I think it was her dragon pit. I don't know if it was. His yeah, dragon I think pit. he was. Mm. So, David, what are you looking forward to most for next week? So we got fat little baby Aegon. Uh, we got another baby in the pipes and it looks like it's going to be fucking ginormous. It looks like a giant. It looks like when, when, uh, the giant that helped Jon Snow, uh, up North. I'm also in the, the trailer, uh, Rhaenyra. So for Rhaenyra mentions the prince that was promised, uh, which is part of the prophecy. What I think is interesting is when I hear that, does Rhaenyra interpret the prince that was promised as her son or as Aegon? Hmm. So I'm curious how she takes that part of the prophecy. Does she see it as like, oh, cool. Prince was promised was already born. It's my half brother. Or does she see it as motivation for her to quickly get married and have a child because she's supposed to bear the prince that is promised? And Nicole, it looks like there's some gossip. There's a vile accusation that's coming. So I'm excited for vile. I, I Listen, you want to get me hype about some gossip? You call it a vile accusation? And I want to know what the fuck is up. Like, I'm all in. Who ate someone's lunch? Who's sleeping with who? Who took someone's parking spot? Did someone steal a baby dragon egg? Did House of the Dragons change from HBO to Bravo? Yes. I want to clap back at all these bitches. I want to know what Rhaenyra said about Allison on Insta. Like, did she unfollow her? That's legit a serious concern right now on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills this season is that one of the women stopped following another one of the women and it's, it's fucking serious drama. I'm not making light of that. I am a hundred percent hooked. Uh, what about you? What do you look you, you watch a trailer for next week. What are you looking forward to? So she was heating up cat's paw and it looked like it was revealing some sort of pattern or a message. Don't know what's going on there. Is Damon's haircut? Cause I'm kind of getting over the Zelda thing. So that's fine with me. Allison still seems to be defending Rhaenyra. Strong hatred, though, like her father, for Damon. And it seems like we've given a little fire magic, which is kind of cool. Maybe. And then at the end, it looks like our dragon knocks a Targaryen ship. 
So I want to know what's up with that. Is that a playful? Yeah. Is it a playful little tippy or is it uh, an attack of some kind? A threat? Yeah, that I when I saw that in the teaser, I was like, oh, that looks cool. Wait, hold it up. Yeah, because we, we're not supposed to be seeing dragons fucking with Targaryen battered ships. Nope. Nicole, what was your favorite thing coming out of this this week's episode? My favorite thing of this episode was Harwin Strong. Harwin Breakbones Strong. Oh, you a fan? Yes. Finally, there's something to gawk at. Oh, sure. Oh, my. What about me, you ask? Sure. Why don't you ask me? Oh, you want me to? Because that's not going to stay in? Because that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What was your favorite thing from this episode? I think the scene where I think as close to horror as I've seen Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon get. I've seen monsters. I've seen creatures. But when they did that moment where it looked like King Viserys was kind of losing his mind while everyone was talking and gabbing and he was just drinking, that that hit me on some anxiety social level. I was like, oh, yeah, I've been here, buddy. I can't relate to dragons. I can't relate to making my daughter marry other kingdoms. But being at a social event and feeling like uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. Samesies. <laughs> Join us next week for episode four of House of the Dragon titled King of the Narrow Sea. Check out our Twitter feed at It's Not TV Pod for further details about our podcast and to connect with our community. And please subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. A very special thank you to our producer, Matt Malone. It's Not TV is a production of Bruit Media. We wish you good fortune in the pods to come. No, let's do it. Let's knock it out. Physical, physical.